Very cool. So I just give a really kind of a devotional tonight uh, from Luke chapter 2. And then after that, um, just open mic if anybody has uh, any testimony they like to share, how the Lord has blessed them recently or at some point in their life in the last year, it'd be great to encourage each other with that. Um, so <clears throat> I purposely wanted to read John 1 through 14 because that's John's account of Christmas. Um, you know, we're very familiar with Luke, and, that's, and we will be. We'll be looking at that in a moment. But uh, John gives a much higher view of Jesus, right? As Jerry, thank you for reading, uh, you know, right away just tells us where Jesus came from, that he is the eternal creator, he himself uncreated, right? And uh, that he, John said that he was the light of life, uh, which I think he's saying that uh, Jesus is the source of life. And uh, light also would be, as we read there in verse 4, he, uh, the light did not overtake, or the darkness did not overcome the light. Uh, so not only is he the source of light, but uh, of life, but he also reveals truth. Light reveals truth, right? And light always overtakes the darkness. Verse 4 in John 1 sort of indicates the need, right? Men were living in darkness. Uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and deceived and disobedient and deserving of God's justice, of his wrath against us. And instead of that, uh, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Uh, and so... I, I like to, I want us to just be thinking about that as we come to Luke chapter 2, um, holding these two Christmas stories uh, at the same time. And John with his high view of Jesus, his view of Jesus in heaven, that, he, that he's, that's his origin, right, where he came from. Um, and then we come to Luke, and Luke's account is all earthly. Right? Obviously, it's just very normal. Uh, we have a husband-wife. Obviously, the circumstances surrounding Mary's pregnancy are entirely different than anyone who's ever lived, ever. Right? So here in Luke chapter 2, if, just, if you have your Bibles there, just take a moment and we'll look at it. Uh, the first seven verses are all that's written from Luke about the actual birth of Jesus. And in fact, really, it's only the last verse, verse 7, that talks about Jesus being born, right? Because it was just a very natural thing to do. A, a baby is born. So in that regard, right, pretty normal. But it's interesting that Luke uh, begins by saying that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Quick question for you. We're small groups, so this is interactive. We're not streaming anything here. What's Caesar mean? Anybody know? King. King. What's Augustus mean? If someone is an august one, yeah, yeah. So put it together, uh, Caesar 
was sort of recognized as the king of kings, right? August or Augustus was a title that was conferred to him because uh, it had overtones of divinity. Uh, he was really regarded as a divine one. And interesting, by the way, a quick search on Wikipedia, and it says that Caesar Augustus is considered one of the greatest leaders of all time, right? Um, so there he is. Uh, Roman Empire, right, was at its the, one of the greatest extent of its existence here. And Caesar Augustus issues a decree that everybody should register so they can pay, right? And um, so verse 4, Joseph, therefore, living in Nazareth and Galilee, we all know Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem. And uh, Joseph and Mary, we learned last Sunday, right? Mary was a very thoughtful, very devout woman. I'm surprised that they weren't already in Bethlehem, to be honest with you, because we all knew that's where Jesus needed to be born. And yet, I get the impression they were just going to hang out in Nazareth until post, you know, and start life there. So uh, the decree goes out, which forces them to move down into Bethlehem, and that's where Jesus is born. Uh, verse 7, just worth reading again, she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So that little word manger, of course, sets the whole scene for what is in our mind. It's a feeding trough. And as best as I can tell, it basically was the garage. So the inn would have a second floor place where people would live, big open room, and then they'd park their animals below. And so they get to the inn, and of course, as we know, there was no vacancy up above. And to be honest, maybe they appreciated the privacy as rough and as conditions were, but it did provide them with some privacy down below. Uh, and then they laid him in the manger. Uh, again, open forum question. Do you see the contrast? We have this man, Caesar Augustus, who just sort of snap of his fingers and the whole inhabited world is forced to move. And then in this amazing contrast, we have the true king of kings lying in a manger. What do you suppose God is speaking to us here? What's he trying to tell us? Maybe there's multiple answers, but what do you guys think? Amen, Bev. Yeah. Awesome. Our conception of God's character, of his being, is we need to hear this Christmas story. That he is, he's not self-centered. And uh, he, he doesn't, he, his nature is, as we see later, the only time Jesus ever refers to himself is, I am meek and lowly in heart. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So our God is a very gentle, a very unassuming in his, in his character. And it's weird to say that because, you know, angels bow down and da-da-da, right? And yet uh, he is just such a, an approachable God, I think is what he's communicating here. 
Any other thoughts? The contrast is communicating. I mean, Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. He's taken, you know, copious notes from his interview with Mary and so many others to compile this story, but the Holy Spirit put it all together to teach us something. And, and I'll just say, I think one of, the, one of the lessons is that salvation will not come from man, right? Pax Romana was an amazing thing, right? But it came at great cost. And here we have the human king of kings requiring people to pay and to be registered to be counted so that they could pay. But, you know, the true king comes to demonstrate that salvation is not going to come through human agency, right? In spite of the glories and the power of, of man, as great as Rome was, uh, it couldn't fix the condition of the human heart. So God comes, right? I would say that would be one, another takeaway. A third takeaway that comes to my mind is uh, very simply that uh, God's will will be done in this world. And I think that that's really good to remind ourselves of that, given the state of affairs in the world today. It's good to be reminded that he has not lost control of things. That he issued, he, he understood that Caesar was going to issue the decree. But you see, my point is, it moved... Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem and it fulfills the scripture and therefore it affirms and confirms the prophecy telling us that God is in control and let us take heart in that brothers and sisters today and maybe your own world has unraveled for some reason in your head or heart but the Lord is in control in his will will be accomplished in this world. So it's a, it's a great reminder there. Well then, verses 8 through 20 are really the bulk of the story. And it has mostly about these angels, right? It's, it's the angels appearing and they're appearing to shepherds. Um, just a quick reminder, what we've discussed once earlier is that angels are, these are good angels, obviously, and they're telling us God's words and they do God's works. That's what angels do. They're very faithful and what they do, they do perfectly. So when these angels appear and when they speak, they're telling us exactly what God wants us to know as written down by Luke, recorded by him. Um, and also shepherds, let me just say briefly, um, you know, shepherds usually were young men. Uh, David was the youngest of the family, right? Uh, the younger men in a family would be the ones tasked with watching the sheep if your dad was a, had sheep, was a farmer. Um, it's entry level. It's unskilled labor. Uh, it's hard work. Uh, it's 24-7, right? Uh, that's my family tradition, right? My dad, dairy farmer. You're pretty much married to the farm, <laughs> right? And didn't matter what day of the year it was, 
Every morning, every evening, there was milking to be done, and there was chores in between, right? So, and it was the same for these shepherds, for these young teenage boys, maybe, young men, out there doing this unskilled hard work. Um, there's hazards in being a shepherd. Uh, David teaches us that, right? There's predators, lions and bears, oh my, <laughs> right? Uh, there's challenges. Uh, Jacob in the Old Testament was a shepherd, and he talked about uh, the heat of the day, the cold in the night, the sleepless exhaustion that he spent watching his uh, Laban's sheep. So the elements were very taxing. Um, and there were responsibilities. Uh, you were, the sheep were 100% dependent on their shepherd to find good pasture and still water because sheep get freaked out by a babbling brook. It's got to be very, so, you know, not easy to find in the summertime, especially brooks dry up. So it was a hard work to pro uh, find good provision. Uh, the shepherd was also basically the nurse. Uh, sheep would give birth and you were there <laughs> to tend to the birth and the afterbirth and, and get the little thing suckling and make, you know, hopefully it all goes well and sickness. And there's so much going on there. So I'm giving you the background on that for a reason. Because of the responsibilities and the 24-7, 365 days, I guess that's what they had in those days, uh, the shepherds, just by virtue of their vocation, never went to temple. So like when Passover would happen, they didn't go. Or tab Feast of Tabernacles or all the great festivals, or just even to go and, in fact, they're raising the sheep that are being used for sacrifice. And it wasn't a high-paying job. So all that to say that eventually the rabbis banned the shepherds from going to church because they just never went. And therefore, they just, they were unclean. They, they kind of ended up outcast, if you will, almost a little leprous-like, although they weren't leprous, but they just were considered, you just guys, you stay out there. So the bottom line is, uh, as I thought about it, is that you're really not allowed to come near God if you're a shepherd until you change your ways, until you clean up your act and start becoming more religious. Then you can come near God. And so, do you see the point? Isn't it amazing? Of all the places that God could have dispatched his angels to announce the birth, he goes out to those fellas. God is merciful. Our God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2.4. It says, but God who is rich in mercy. It's his essence, his character, and he's infinite in mercy. Which means when he gives mercy, it doesn't diminish him in any way. If I give James $20, I've diminished my worth because I've let go of some of it. And now it's in his hands. That's never true with God. When he gives mercy, it doesn't diminish the amount of mercy that he has. He is mercy. And the beautiful thing in Luke 1, uh, Zacharias is prophesying about Jesus. 
And he, and he says uh, that he, through the tender mercy of our God. So it's, it's that uh, so gentle in the way that he approaches, in the way that he comes to us. He initiated this. And he comes to, and he sends his angels. Well, first an angel, and it tells us here, uh, verse 9, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. I don't know, that caught my attention today because maybe from cartoons or pictures or whatever, I always had this image of angels filling the sky. But like they're out in this hill country outside of Bethlehem. Obviously, there's no light, right? It's as dark as dark can be. And an angel stands before them. And so obviously, they're freaked out. But the words of the angel, and again, remember, they're saying God's words. They're, they're communicating to us what we need to hear, what they needed to hear. And they knew who they were. They knew their place in society. And so an angel, an apparition, they're seeing something they've never seen before, most likely. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Uh, quick reminder, how many times is don't be afraid repeated in the Bible? 365 times. One time for every day of the year, right? It's the truth, right? Don't be afraid. Because we're afraid. We all have fears. It's part of the fall. And the angel immediately says, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you. You. You outcast people. I bring you good news. Of great joy, which will be to all people. It's not just for you, but I'm starting with you. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, that reduces their search pretty rapidly. All we got to do is check the garages, right? And suddenly there was with an angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts. So apparently uh, this unnumbered host of angels all standing in front of this handful of shepherds. And uh, they're praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, your Bible may read uh, peace toward men of goodwill. Uh, that is often, uh, seems to be the more preferred translation these days. Uh, I don't really care, to be honest with you. I think both are true. <laughs> it's peace toward men of goodwill and it's goodwill to men, right? And so again, they're communicating God's desire, right? They're glorifying God because his desire for relationship with human beings has, is coming to pass. And the delight that God has in people, in sinners, and the shepherds, really, these young people are just representative of the state of mankind at that time, really, at all times. And God has come to us. His desire is for fellowship. And the angels are just praising him for that. And uh, his delight is to bring his goodwill, his pleasure, his delight toward men. Or men who receive that are experience peace because they've responded to God's pleasure. Uh, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, uh, let us now go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has come to pass, which the angels have made known to us. Uh, doesn't say that, does it? They knew who was talking to them. It was angels telling them about God's love for them. And uh, that's uh, just a great reminder for all of us today. Our Lord is merciful. He's compassionate toward us. His tender mercy. He's rich in mercy. It's his desire. You guys comfortable with that? God likes hanging out with you. He enjoys you. And he wants us to enjoy him. Peace to you. The war's over. Right? Handles Messiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Right? It's over. It's over. You've paid the price. I'm here now for establishing a new covenant, a new relationship. Enjoy God. Learn to enjoy Him as much as He enjoys you. These men came running in the town. They had a story to tell, they had a song to sing. Because God had appeared to them and communicated to their heart. I know you think you're outcast, and I know you think that you are being told you've got to change and clean up your life, and I'm not here to make you register and pay, right? I've come to save. I've come to pay for you and to give you a new start and to clean you up with my, the blood of that little baby. So that's the word of the Lord for us tonight. Just... Uh, yeah.